thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. (laughs) 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 Ta-da! The rock stars on the road. Yeah, there was a little gap there. Yes, we did it purposefully. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just not the same when any one of us is missing, is it? I know. It actually, it kind of, it does feel like a little bit of a gap in the room and a gap in our little hearts. Yeah, I know. But we thought, you know what? There's so much information and, and we don't ever want to miss a week. So we figured we'd get this started, didn't we, darling? We did. We did. And we thought we would talk about something that's on everybody's lips at the moment. And that is emotional eating. Mm. And it was, it was really quite um, amazing. We had, or I did a launch for my emotional eating program called Eat With Ease. And it's been really quite amazing to see the people who've joined the program. And one of the things that I get everybody to do is to send me personally a before photo. So they all send me in their before photos. And of course, I keep them under lock and key. Nobody ever sees them again other than the person who sent it to me um, because they send me an after photo at the end of the program as well. And then I pop them together and then I send it through privately. And it's amazing how with all of the photos that I get sent through, there there was a couple of them that just said, here's my photo. Karen, and then it was just the photo. But most of the photos that I get come accompanied with, I hate myself. This is such a bad photo of me. Oh, yuck. Look at me. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I wish I didn't have to do this. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry you have to look at me like this. You know, there's lots of all of that stuff that came with the photos. Mm. And when I look at the photos, you know, it's amazing when what you see is, um, you know, when you look at yourself and I, and I, and I understand this wholeheartedly because I've lived my entire life looking in the mirror and hating everything that I saw. Even when I was my slimmest, I still looked in the mirror and thought I was disgusting. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and I think there's nothing sadder than to look in the mirror and see a reflection of something that's not actually there. And one thing, you know, I always think of, Kimmy, when I look at these pictures is I, I remember, you know, when you were speaking once when we were in Melbourne mm. and you said, for those of you who don't like your boobs or you don't like your legs, think mm. of the person who's lost their boobs or lost their legs, you know, through an accident or cancer and then have, you know, develop a new relationship with yourself. Mm. And I remember, you know, I always think of that and I think, you know, we look in the mirror and we say what we don't like, but really... The most compassionate thing was once I was sitting in my car and I was looking at my thighs and I just happened to glance down and I thought, oh, you fat bloody thighs, disgusting. Have a look at you. You look like a bloody bowling ball as you're sitting there, disgusting. And then as soon as I poked my thighs, within an instant I got this thought where I thought, hang on a minute, my thighs are just doing the best they can with what I put in my mouth. Mm. my body is doing the best that it can with what I put in my mouth. So my body is actually amazingly supportive of me and it just keeps going. You know, like I'll, I'll, I'll put food into my mouth or I'll overeat, or this is back then, but I'll, I'll overeat or I'll eat the wrong food and I won't even think twice about what that's doing to my poor body. And then I look at my body and I say, I hate you. When my body is actually doing everything that it possibly can to love me back based on what I'm doing to it. And I cried in the car. I got such a realization and such an insight into the majesty of this body and how it keeps persevering. It keeps compensating. It keeps doing whatever it possibly can. It keeps coming up with new ways to cope with this onslaught that was fueled by out-of-control emotions, unreconciled emotions, was fueled by self-hatred, 
fueled by external influences, I would just throw whatever I could get into my body. And it was just doing the best that it could. Honestly, it was such a turning point for me. Mm-hmm. That was about two years ago when I really, really, I mean, I've had a bit of a wake up call from you and Cindy for a long time, but it was really like, it was the final push I think that I needed to really look at what I was doing to myself and it was only about me doing it to me. And in that moment, there was like this great epiphany of responsibility that just smacked me in the chops to wake me up. It's such a good point you make, Kez, because so often what we hate in the mirror, we blame the body almost. We blame the fact that what we're seeing is something else or someone else's fault. But the reality is, as you so correctly say, is that responsibility is the minute you put something between those lips, the minute you choose to swallow and eat. <coughs> oh, sorry. Right. You've got a little frog in your throat no, and you cross his legs. No, <laughs> speaking of eating, oh, no, I you... a little fly to throw Oh, you did not. <laughs> oh, my oh God. no, you didn't. There's a little, one of those little sand flies just went... <laughs> Oh, love. I wonder how much protein's in there. Um, anyway. Um, Are you all right? But, but what I was saying is. Um, Are you all right? Yeah, yeah. I've swallowed it. I just drowned it. Um, oh, that's kind of disgusting. <laughs> I, I'm trying to actually keep my cool here. I just want to run. Um, but the reality is what's put on our mouth. You know what the biggest aha for me was? And I've always been someone who, you know, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, has has been athletic and I've been blessed with an athletic body and I have always been athletic. So for me, any kind of movement was always, I, I didn't even know if I looked at it as a privilege. I just thought it was a normality. It was just, and it was great to sweat and it's great to push your heart and almost vomit every time you trained. And it was, wow. you know, when I was playing for state netball level, our training sessions were really hard. But then when I went to Australia and I met a guy called Cliff Young and and then I thought my body could do no more. I just could not push another kilometre, another step even out of my body. And he would say to me, there's always more. There's always the ability to have more self-control. There's always the ability to take one more step. And and he really taught me the power of I don't even realize the potential of my body. I only base it on what I see in the mirror and how I treat it through what I eat. So then after I had children, I had put on quite a bit of weight for me and wasn't happy with how I looked. And that's when I decided I really wanted to be one of those before and after shots, you know. And and it was while I was training, doing my body sculpting, when I ended up doing that, that I had my big aha, which was because I always thought you could always run off or train off anything you ate. So I could pretty much eat anything I wanted and then go for a 10K run and I'd done my dash kind of thing. You know, it was kind of like payoff. So it wasn't until I was doing this training and my trainer would pick up my shirt every morning I'd come into the gym and she'd do like this caliper test. um, What do you call them? Yeah, calipers. Yeah. She'd do the fat caliper test. And... This one night, I think I've mentioned this on a podcast before, but the night before we'd had a birthday celebration, I didn't drink alcohol or anything because I knew I had to stand in front of 400 people in a G-string bikini in a couple of weeks. So there was no, I tell you what, that's a great motivation and incentive. Oh, I tell you what. (laughs) Turned around and she said to me, what did you eat last night? And I said, oh, nothing. And I had my grilled chicken and my steamed broccoli and my quarter of a kumara or sweet potato and, and my water. That's all I'd eaten. And then I did finally fess up and I'd had probably a quarter of a slice of liver cleansing banana cake. And she said... Oh, liver cleansing banana cake. Yeah. So it wasn't even like some really heavy, it was a beautiful cake. um, And I still to this day make it, but it it was not a horrible, you know, heavy sugar cake, but it was still a banana cake and it was made with spelt flour and so it was it was you know for those of us that could eat can eat gluten it was still fine anyway she does this test and she says to me you know Kim there's no point hiding from it because the body doesn't lie so whatever you're going to tell me 
you can lie to me till you're blue in the face and I could even pretend to agree with you or even accept what you're saying, but your body is not lying. There has been an inflammatory response to something you ate last night. Now tell me the truth. What did you eat? Oh. <laughs> and then I said to her, oh, it was so confronting because, you know, you can kind of hide things you think behind clothing, but when you're naked and when you're standing there with someone testing your body fat every single morning, it's very confronting and very, you know, it's, it's very accountable. Anyway, I finally admitted, and what I realized in that moment, the biggest aha for me, was that here I was justifying in my head that it was a liver-cleansing piece of banana cake, and it was only a quarter of what everyone else was having. I justified it, but the reality was, even though it probably wasn't going to kill me, and it wasn't certainly going to make any difference, really, truly, but the fact is, if I chose to do that again tonight, and again tomorrow night, and maybe then I started getting a little bit of an addiction to the sugar taste and wanting it after every meal, this is how the weight can creep on. And not only that, is that we keep justifying it by saying, oh, it's just a slither or it's liver cleansing or it's whatever. But the reality is everything, every single thing that goes between our lips has an effect on our body when we choose to eat it. So that was my aha. And it was more around everything has an effect. Even something healthy can have an effect. And, and we know that with people, some people can eat a strawberry and they break out in hives. So I'm not saying that every food that we eat is the best for our body, but I truly get it. And I think it's not until you get those ahas or those major flashes of blinding obvious that you actually can identify and make the connection between you, your emotions and your body. I think that, um, you know, it, for everybody, it's, it's a journey, isn't it? Like, I mean, it's when you, when you become aware and you become conscious and you become present to living the most expanded version of yourself or living the most amazing life in whatever way you possibly can, it kind of brings present awareness to each area of your life. Like, how can I do that in my work? How can I do that with my family? How can I do that with my children? How can I do that with my partner? How can I do that with my food? And I think that the key is to look at all relationships and one thing that I guess we don't look at is the relationship with food. And I think that, you know, depending on how we grow up as kids, um, you know, what the norm is in the household, whether, you know, mum used to give us biscuits to make us feel better or, you know, we used to really love a Sunday roast dinner because that's when the family all came together and that felt like love. So you just keep eating because you were eating lots of love. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there was all, and the food just tasted amazing. And, you know, those smells of popcorn. And so you just eat the whole bucket of popcorn because <laughs> the whole, you know, it's got this whole memory associated with mm. it. It's, you know, it, it's, it's such a, it's such a simple, yet it's also very complex discussion because even people who don't think that they are emotional eaters probably are you know like they, Do you think we all are I, yeah well statistics actually say i mean I, and i'm really just going from a from what all, all the all of the research that i've done and all of the books that i've read statistics say that 80 percent of the population are emotional eaters and the other 20 percent of the population eat predominantly for fuel but will be inclined to eat emotionally when they're eating under social circumstances. So culturally, like um, particularly the more ethnic cultures, don't want to generalize here, but, you know, like the Greeks and the Italians, they tend to get together over food and it's, you know, with the big beautiful meals and the great big spread and that's, mm -hmm. that's family. And then also the socialization of Christmas even, you know, like we'll tend to have the Christmas cake or we'll tend to have too much champagne or too much because there's, there's, a, there's an emotional connection happening around that. Mm. So, yeah, I, honestly, I, I, I think that the 80% is being quite liberal. I, would, I think that it's a much higher statistic than that. And I think that... It, you know, I actually think I'm an emotional eater. You know, like, I, I mean, I think... I don't know how to say this, but without sounding like um, I forget the name of those people that have an obsession with healthy eating. What do we call it? You know, the, oh, one uh, of the girls that our awakening with the change within was called it. Um, Cindy knows, don't she? Where's our Cindy when we need? <laughs> yeah, she's probably straight away. Yeah, there'll be listeners sitting there going, "I know it, I know it." Um, it'll come back to me, but 
I think about food all the time. I think about eating all the time and I think about how I'm going to feel when I eat that and, and then what meals I can get out in preparation for that. And, and I, I don't think it's an unhealthy emotional space because I, I love cooking and I love providing for my family and I love, I love creating healthy dishes and all of that. But I also get a real kick out of making, you know, little, sweet treats for the kids as in you know like like we've just gone back to school and so one of the things we did the night before school started I said to Taylor in that afternoon I said Jacob I said well you know we're going to start doing lunchbox lunches you know and snacks again and so what I usually do once a week is make a whole lot of like you know nibbles of some sort of one one thing or other whether it's sweet or savory and then we put them in the freezer to make it easy on the morning of school so that people can just grab and then they add the fresh fruits and things to it so it's a really easy way for us to stay healthy without resorting to you know buying something just because it's quick and easy so for me the key is always preparation but the reality is for us is you know the sweet treats for Taylor and she's just made this decision and I think it's amazing to listen to a young you know 16 year old girl who has decided she's finally got the connection I think with her body and eating and and whatnot and she said mom I'm, I'm not going to eat any processed sugars for this whole term my my goal this term is to eat really well so the other night she made this beautiful meal and it was just a basic salad So, and she loves iceberg lettuce and nothing fancy and it can't be too mixed but she made this pastry base from a from one of the cookbooks that we have. It was a cross between Quirky Go, Against All Grain and Chef Pete Evans's book so we kind of made up our own recipe and then we baked that and then we put the, the, the quiche filling together and she did the onion and the garlic and the and the spinach and then you know we put some fresh basil in it and anyway she just it was just amazing to watch this girl start to realize that she's been watching and listening to her mother probably preach on for years she's around people like you and Cindy and all we ever seem to talk about is food and and um and you know what she's doing with it kids and Cindy will be so proud but she is actually putting together an ebook for for young people to eat healthy because she's really struggled with understanding what's the best thing for her body. So she's now creating all these recipes that are easy for her and she's collating them and she's already got about 30 recipes together and she's collating them and writing them from her point of view. And because she is a young dancer, I said to her, let's let's call it, you know, an ebook or a cookbook for dancers. And then I thought, well, actually, all of the tips and information she's putting in here, and there's emotional tips in there as well, which I think a lot of you mums out there will really appreciate this book when it gets here, is that she's really focusing on the athlete or the young person who really reveres or understands that their body is a machine. So anybody that's into sport or dance. So she's calling it Dance Around the Table, which I think is so cute. Oh, how cute um, is that? I know. It's so gorgeous. And and she's really thinking about how to support other people because she leaves home at the end of this year and she goes into the big wide world of dancing. And she just said, Mum, I just need to know and I want to know how I can cook. So, you know, I think – the, the connection between the body, the importance of the body, and probably more importantly, the actual emphasis around self-love, you know, that real being kind to oneself and realizing that food is your medicine. Food is the one thing that allows us to not only socialize, there's culture and tradition around it. Like you said before, there's those beautiful things like Christmas and Easter and all of those things. But maybe instead of thinking, oh, my God, we're going to put on weight, it's typical and all that sort of thing, it's like, how could I possibly eat the best way with the most amazing sweet treats or the best way I can look after myself? And, for instance, Taylor made this raw macadamia caramel tart the other night and we tweaked this whole recipe and and we've put it, cut it into pieces and it's only small pieces because it's quite rich. When you make raw desserts and, you know, bliss balls and all those, they're very strong really and quite Mm. sweet and intense and you find you don't want a lot of it. So she's cut them all up into small pieces and they're all individually cut in, in the freezer so that on the days that she feels like something, she takes out a bit and she slices a bit off and... She's learning portion control and I don't know, I just find watching a young woman like her, the way she's grown up compared to me who grew up with this whole sense of I wish I looked like Elle McPherson and I wish I had a body like 
you know, Madonna and and I never couldn't I never had the connection on how you did that. I didn't realise Madonna ate nothing or very she, often she was a raw vegan and she lived on things or and then she went into miso soup was one of her absolute you know, that was her staple in her diet. So you know, I don't think we have a connection as to the food we eat and the effect it has on our body and then how we feel afterwards. And because we get so used to eating perhaps a certain way of eating, we don't actually know what normal or even healthy or flourishing feels like anymore. So we've got no comparison. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because that whole what is normal and what is right, you know, it's just, it's just not common knowledge. You know, obviously people who listen to this podcast, of course, it's, you know, certainly common knowledge for everybody who's listening. But I think that in the general population, knowing what is nutritious is really challenging. But I think, excuse me, I think that the best thing to, or one of the things to look at around food, you know, like I think that there's, I think that there's um, a necessity to have a healthy focus on food, like to have a healthy attention towards food. And a healthy, um, yeah, a, health, a healthy perspective. Getting food prepared and you know really loving that whole process. I think that's really a healthy way to look at it. Mm-hmm. And you know what you've described there, Kimmy, is just pure bliss and pure love. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that is ultimately where somebody who is, a, you know, like. On the other side of the spectrum as an emotional eater is just would love to get to that. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, to look at it in the context of, you know, the, the way that I, the way that I frame it is, you know, food is kind of secondary to the problem. Mm. The, the primary problem is unreconciled emotions and it's not actually learning how to deal with our emotions when we're younger, because we didn't, we didn't, learn to reconcile and understand and be with and cope with and deal with, not that I like to use those words because I don't, but we didn't actually learn how to be with our emotions when we were younger because we were in families or situations where we would get an ice cream if we were happy or we would get a sweet treat to try and distract us if we got upset and started screaming in the shopping centre. Or a lollipop or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if we threw ourselves on the floor and started beating the floor in the shopping centre, we would just get whatever the hell we possibly could get in order to stop the, the trauma for the, for our parents. And you can see how that happens. I mean, you know, parenting, and I'm not that I know, but from what I see, I mean, parenting is just a constant challenge all around. So I think, you know, it, nobody's trying to do the wrong thing. Everybody's trying to do the right thing. Yeah. But sometimes what lands up happening, and you can never control this because you're dealing with a little human being who has a brain, has a mind of their own, and is making their own meaning out of every situation. That little person is putting together, when I get angry, I must eat. And this is the kind of food that I must eat. And when I get happy, I must eat. And this is the kind of food that I must eat. And when I get excited this is the kind of food that I must eat and then when I get bored this is how I must eat and this is the kind of food that I must eat and the interesting thing is that that food that we must eat is never like I've said before is never a carrot stick or a hummus it's Mm. always fatty salty sugary Mm. comfort or starchy type foods because that's what we've been conditioned with so you know it starts off as a, a fairly innocent um way of trying to uh, resolve emotional states but then eventually those kind of foods turn into addictions and then when they become addictive they start to affect the gut they start to affect the moods they start to affect the hormones they start to affect um, the uh, the the yeast levels in the gut you know everything starts to compound one thing on the other and then eventually we land up obese yeah and i think that control you know that's where Cindy is so powerful in her knowledge around the effect of this on, as she always alludes to, the microbiome and, and the gut bacteria. And, and then once that's out of control, then how on earth can we be expected to make good decisions? And then when the brain's fuzzy and it's overloaded with 
you know, sugar or too much whatever it is going on in the system, then, of course, we're going to resort to making even worse decisions. So, uh, Karen, I just want to ask you one question. If, if it is all emotionally driven, is there a switch that we can actually switch on or off? Is it that easy to make the decision to go? No. No, it's not, no, not no, as it. It's really not because it's kind of like a compounding issue. Because we never actually learn to reconcile the emotions, that's the first thing we've got to actually go back and do. Is we've got to, we've got to, we've got to learn to, we've got to, we've got to figure out what an emotion is, and then we've got to learn to. Um, oh, it sounds like we've got Miss Cindy on the line. Stop it. Yes, yes, I'm here. Oh, yeah. welcome, welcome. <laughs> uh, hey, guys. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, I could hear you on the line there, Miss Cindy, uh, so I wanted to say uh, welcome and acknowledge you. Thank you, thank you. I'm so sorry I'm late to everybody. Um, we've been travelling through the Victorian countryside and we're now in the in the mountains, so it's absolutely beautiful here. Yeah. Oh, well, you've come in at a great time, sweetheart, because... Um, you know, we, we're talking a lot about the emotional eating side of things and it's it's just a fascinating conversation, as you can imagine. I think we're about 15, mm. 20 minutes in and already we've yeah. gone down a few rabbit holes. So so welcome. And I've just realised it's orthorexia nervosa was that unhealthy obsession. Ah, with yes. eating. Yeah. yeah, yeah, orthorexia nervosa, an unhealthy obsession with um, healthy food and there's a drug for it. Oh, yeah. fun. <laughs> I, I just asked Cindy, uh, Karen, Cindy. I said, "Do you think then?" And because Karen made the point that th there's there's statistics out there that show eighty percent of the population are emotional leaders, and perhaps the other twenty percent <laughs> are just kidding themselves. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know, even though I'm very healthy, I would say I have an emotional attachment to food. And I, I dare say most of us do because there is such comfort around it. And those that I find don't have any connection to food or have no emotional attachment in any way whatsoever are probably people that may have other areas that they're emotionally detached in as well. So I don't think there's anything mm. wrong with emotional eating in the sense that, you know, we eat to feel good, we we eat to socialise, we eat to um, cook for others. Like there's a, there's so many beautiful culture of tradition and, and beautiful rituals around eating. But I just asked Karen, I said, well, do you think it's easy for those of us that maybe our, the negative of it is that when we have a negative emotion to it, we go and pick out on maybe alcohol or sugar or fat or whatever it is or a combination of all of the above. And when I say fat, I mean like processed sugars and fats. Do you think, I asked Karen, do you think it's easy to switch that on or off? And, and Karen said, uh, no, it's not that easy. So, And I just wondered what your thoughts were. Uh, Karen, I agree with you. I don't think it's all that easy because we, we get into a habit. And, yes, I think 100% of people have an emotional attachment to food. Like, I do, definitely. I, I see food as a time to get together. It's a beautiful time for, for nurturing. It's, it's a time that I, you know, I, I spend time with um, my girls or with my husband, you know, we, the, or Brogan, you know, we just, I love it. That's the emotional attachment I have to it. It's a very positive emotional attachment. So um, there's very few people, I think, that don't have some sort, whether it's positive or negative. And the thing is, I think, Karen, is to switch it. And it's really interesting because this morning on the plane, I was listening to the beautiful Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. And she was talking about the emotional attachment people have who have autism or Asperger's or OCD to food. And theirs is very, I only want to eat white or on Tuesdays I only eat red. Um, so their emotional attachment um, is very different to probably most people's. But she actually says it's, she, she, she believes that it's about getting to the gut, the microbiome, fixing that and you start to fix the brain and, she, and her comment was this the mind is attached to the brain and the brain is attached to the gut and that was her belief is that we start dealing with the gut we start working on our um our habits our emotions and we can change the way we uh the, the foods that we choose because she's basically saying the foods that you choose are being chosen by your microbiome which look, I just find fascinating is that the microbiome is 10 times you and 
it's telling you what it needs in order to survive. So if it's a healthy microbiome, it will ask you for healthy foods. If it's an unhealthy microbiome, it will ask you for sugars because that's what it needs to feed on. Do you think then from that perspective that how does a microbiome learn to like McDonald's or learn to crave chocolate? Is that just the constant? Because the first time you have it, you can't feel that great. Is it like smoking or, not that I know this, um, but is it like something like that, that you just keep pushing through and pushing through or do we just not pay attention to how we feel afterwards? Like what happens there to create a microbiome McDonald loving system? Well, what happens is that you have a slow degradation of the microbiome and, and the unhealthy bacteria take over from the healthy bacteria and it's it could be because you took antibiotics, not because you started eating McDonald's. And then you, and, and you, you look, for, you're looking for sugars, and you're looking for those. It's the sugar um, that they're looking for. Or, like, if you look at white bread, um, white rice, it's a, it's a sugar hit. Um, amylopectin is broken down very quickly, and it becomes sugar for them to feed on. Uh, and you know, it's, it was, it's just this is what we're starting to learn. And then, then we become absolutely emotional about everything. We become depressed, we have anxiety, we have all of those things. So, and then we, we get into a habit. So for me, to, to try and fix one, like the microbiome without fixing the emotion, or to try and fix the emotion without fixing the microbiome is, to me, a, a, a mute point. You've got, to, you've got to do the both. Yeah. And the same with your skin microbiome, Kim. Mm. Totally. You know, you, you've got to fix that microbiome too. It's, and, and you know what, we, I've, I've, another thing that I've learned, and I'm sorry I've taken over this conversation, but it's just been a huge learning curve for me. But I found out that um, Roundup, which is also called glycophosate, kills the microbiome of the soil, which stops the plants being able to take up nutrients from the soil which in turn gives us less nutrients, which in turn makes us sicker, which in turn makes the microbiome sicker. It's, it's like this vicious environmental cycle that we've gotten into. And we, we have to start to realise that these, the depression that we now see, the anxiety, the emotional problems that we now see is not just one thing. It's many things. And if we can... You know, and, you know, we look at everything and we try and fix our environment within our house to begin with and our food environment and our mental environment. Isn't that right, Karen? You know? Yeah, I think, it just, I think it just adds to the complexity of it because if you think about, you know, um, and it does, it just adds to the complexity of it because you've got, you know, when I, I look at my experience and my family's experience and, and a lot of the people on the Eat With Ease program, they started off, you know, brand new little babies in an environment mm. and in families where food was used as, you know, a tool to soothe emotions or a tool to, you know, deal with emotions. And then, of course, then, then, then the natural degradation of the body takes effect. And then there's also the others who potentially never had that, but then... Can they, that, that you know, because society keeps feeding us the sugars and the, all that sort of stuff, the body starts craving it. And the nutrition isn't there, as you say, Cindy, because our, our soils are being depleted from nutritional value. And then it's the food, the, the disconnect inside of the body chemically that mm -hmm. then causes the neurology of the gut and the neurology of the brain to malfunction, which then means that we land up feeling the anxieties and the depression and all those sorts of things. So it's kind of like it comes at us from all angles. But then belief comes into it too, guys. You know, like if you truly believe that something is good for you or not good for you, whether it is or it isn't, could possibly be the case. I was just saying off here, Cindy. Good point. It's yeah. true. It's absolutely true. Good point. I, I, watched a, I, watched, I watched a girl who um, was doing kinesiology. And actually, I think this was at your workshop, Cindy, ages ago. I remember a girl held a piece of bread and put it up against her. Um, I'm, I'm sure it was at your workshop. Forgive me if I'm wrong. But yeah. a girl held a piece of bread, put it up against her, and then there was some muscle testing done. And the muscle testing showed that she was weak. Then 
um, the kinesiologist asked her to bless the bread, say, I love you, thank you, I'm so grateful for you, and then hold the bread up against her body, and then they did muscle testing again, and she tested rock solid. Um, and it was about, and I think the point may or may not have been, was it you? Was it your workshop or was it someone else's? Uh, no, but I have seen that before. I've seen um, people do a blessing over water. You know, we know that um, Masura Moto did the mm. blessing over water and the whole water crystal and the whole mm. energy changed the water. So we know that, that that happens and that when you do bless something and when you pray over something and when you meditate over something and when a group of people meditate, you know, they did that experiment. Um, I can't remember one um, town in America and they got a real concerted group to meditate for a period of time and the crime rate... For the hours that they did, it went down. 4,000 monks meditated in the heart of downtown New York and oh. and, it was, and, the, and crime rate went down something like 40% for the four hours that they were meditating at, at that time. So, yeah, I've seen that. There's also a really awesome documentary out at the moment, which I started watching the other day. I just haven't finished it. It's called The Consciousness of Water. Mm. And it talks about it's not the composition of water that matters, it's the structure of water. And it's really quite a fascinating um, documentary because it's about the composition of water. We think it needs to have all of its minerals, it needs to have all of that, and that that's not necessarily how water functions. Water functions functions best based on its structure, um, and how, which just is more evidence about that. Um, you know, the crystals having the positive words over the top of them, and the contrast between having hate, hateful music played to water versus having beautiful music played to water. It was, it was really quite fascinating to show how the, the structure and the impression, I think is probably a better language, the impression that's put on water has, a, has more of an effect than the composition of it, which then again, I guess, speaks volumes about the structure of food as opposed to the composition of it. They said that they, they had this mm. experiment of these men who were trapped. No, it wasn't an experiment, actually. It was quite unfortunate. There was this boat that went down in the ocean, and there were five men who managed to jump into a, into a life raft. And they were floating out of the middle of the ocean for days and days and days, and they were all so parched, so thirsty, so desperate for water. And they decided that they would all start imagining the seawater as fresh water. And they were all imagining, imagining, imagining. They all spent the whole day focusing on the seawater being freshwater, freshwater, freshwater. And then finally the captain decided to put his hands in the water and took a, a scoop full of water and he was drinking fresh water. Wow. I know. That's insane. I know. And have so you they guys, all... Have they, you guys seen the film Unbroken yet? No, I don't think no. so. Yeah, you know, the Angelina Jolie directed film about the, oh, no. the beautiful guy. That's the, he was an Olympian. It's based on a true story. I tell you what, this is the other thing that I want to say to anybody that feels they've got a stuffed microbiome or that they have abused their body too harsh or they haven't been good enough. There is always the opportunity for repair and rebuild. And you only have to look at people that have gone through, I mean, his was a very extreme case, but for years in these concentrate or these prisoner of war camps and fed smidgens, he spent 45 days at sea in a little lifeboat, the three of them. How they survived that, I don't know. But just, you know, many of us perhaps have put ourselves through incredible stress or under duress and the body has a remarkable unfathomable ability to heal repair and want to get back to homeostasis and I mean we all know from an emotional point of view you can be sitting there eating a beautiful lunch a beautiful lunch or something and then you get a phone call a crippling phone call that changes your life forever and it could be terrible news or something's happened and in an instant that food is just you can't eat it, you can't stomach it, you could lose five kilos in a week with devastating news, you can, you know, your body just doesn't want to function on food at all. So we know in that extreme situation that emotions can totally govern how we react and respond to food. But in the same token, I just want to say how powerful the body is at building and repairing. So no matter where anybody's at, and the fact that anyone listening to this podcast, I would dare say, is on a health journey so my number one tip would be stop beating up on yourself. 
start using kinder language, start to really appreciate the knowledge that you get from podcasts like this and many, many other amazing foodies out there that give unbelievable amounts of information and just start gathering what feels right for you and maybe even journaling it, journaling how you feel before a meal. What, what are your thoughts before you eat? Start noticing triggers. Start noticing the repetitive patterns or where your mind goes when you eat certain foods or why you're craving certain foods at certain times. And, and I think if you're really committed to wanting to find out and to stop abusing that body for the way it looks and yet all it's done is totally listened and done exactly as you've you've done to it um i think the most important thing you can do is is learn to love it for all that it is and isn't and then start to really respect it and what it takes to bring it back to health yeah i got sorry sadie you go my love no no i i, I was listening to you all oh. ears karen oh. <laughs> i thought i started talking over the top of you i felt really bad then uh, did no. i did i talk over the top of you no, no, I was listening to you. I, I just, um, I, I was actually thinking about Anita Mojani and uh, Alexander, um, Eve and Alexander, you know, they were on death's door and they were, all their family were there to say goodbye to them and they were in their last 24 hours of life. One had cancer and one had completely lost part of his brain and they both woke up and had had near life, near death experiences and realised what life was all about and in I think even Alexander was well in two weeks and Anita Morjani after dying you know being told she had 24 hours to live with cancer walked out of the hospital five weeks later free of cancer so mm -hmm. you're right Kim it's um it 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 is it's it's how we perceive our life and and what they learnt was that you have to love yourself you have to love yourself unconditionally it's they're fascinating stories so that was what i was thinking of karen so maybe the thoughts were coming out of my head i don't know <laughs> true true i think i think the the fascinating part about that is that as you said before the mind and the body are connected you know they're not separate from each other and unfortunately science and the way that we look at our body is very individualistic, you know, like we've got somebody who just looks at eyes, somebody just looks at throats, we've got somebody who just looks at hands, we've got somebody who just looks at spleens and somebody just looks at hearts, etc. But collectively the body has this innate intelligence that no one can measure. And it's almost as if I often think to myself, I wonder if the powers to be up there or if this whole, you know, innate intelligence of consciousness sometimes giggles at us trying to measure something that can never be measured. Because we just do, we don't have any kind of comprehension or understanding about how what starts in the mind manifests in the body, and then what starts in the body can manifest in the mind. And there's no measurement for that. There's no way to track that. So I think you know that the most important thing for everybody that it has or is going through, or, or not going through, has recognised that they have an emotional attachment to their eating. And that emotional attachment is no longer serving them. The one, sorry, I think I just hit a button there. Um, <laughs> the one, the one thing that I would say to everybody who is has, that how quickly we can mute each other? I think so. <laughs> I think I think I just figured something out there. <laughs> oh, I love it, everyone. <laughs> But the one thing that I would say to anybody who recognises that they have an emotional attachment to food and it doesn't serve them mm. in the context of their, you know, they're overweight, they're unhealthy, it's been like that for a sustained period of time, they've tried diet after diet after diet and it doesn't work. The one thing that I would say to those people is stop thinking it's about food because food is not the enemy. Mm. Food is something that absolutely has to be addressed because the type of food that they're craving is not serving them. But the first thing they have to do is absolutely learn how to be with their emotions because they never learned how to be with their emotions when they were younger. So that's the root cause. You know, like you really want to get to the root cause when you are an emotional eater and it's been going on since you were a child. You, you've got to get the root cause there which then allows the healing to occur on all of the other levels. But if you're, just in it, if you're just addressing the food, the emotions will bite you in the bum every day of the week. And while, while diet may work temporarily, 
it's not going to work long term because the emotions that drive why you eat and what you eat have to be reconciled. And I don't. And when I say reconciled, I mean that in the most simplistic and benign way. Everybody gets angry. Everybody gets bored. Everybody procrastinates. Everybody gets upset. Everybody gets excited. Everybody gets happy. Emotions are a part of life. Whatever we are thinking, we will experience emotions. So there's no point in thinking, oh, I've got to be positive. I've got to stop feeling this way. I've got to really control my emotions. No, 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 no. That's not the answer. The most important thing is to learn to understand that when I feel angry, there are five other senses or there are five senses that we've been blessed with. Our taste, our smell, our hearing, our touch. And what's the other one? What have I missed? Well, seeing, seeing our sight. <laughs> our sight. <laughs> our eyesight. And the one sense that we've really been using to try and soothe our emotions is our sense of taste. Yet there's four other senses that are going un, I guess, capitalized on. So it's, it's about employing all of the senses to reconcile our emotions, but then it's also becoming aware of what our emotions are there for. Instead of wishing them away and thinking food will get rid of them, while it does suppress the gut neurology temporarily, when we stuff our stomachs full of food and overeat, it suppresses the gut neurology and it numbs the gut neurology temporarily. All it does is create more and more damage over the longer term that you know, mm -hmm. becomes a bigger issue that then needs to be addressed. And for most people, they've been doing this for most of their life. So those gut issues and those issues that you talk about, Cindy, well and truly prevalent. You know, they're, def they're definitely a part of the issue. But that's, you know, that's just another layer of the onion that really needs to be, really needs to be healed. I just want to share a story about the emotions and emotional eating. Um, and I'm sure anyone out there listening that has a partner that they're trying to convert, let's just say, or that they're trying to support or they've got a partner that's maybe not quite on the same page or whatever, and I'm sure there's many of us. Um, we just we went to Dubai just recently, obviously, and caught up with Danny, and we hadn't seen him for months. And and the poor thing, I mean, Danny's on the road a lot, and he's around an environment where people socialise a lot. And you know, beer is part of the cricketing fraternity. And and not that Danny drinks beer anymore, but he's not as sharp as he could be on his diet at times. And he kind of rather than rock the boat, if someone has made him a meal and they've dished it up and it's got gluten, he kind of would rather eat it than be impolite and doesn't want to make a fuss. So anyway, it's our third night there. We're all shattered and we're all tired because we're just starting to unwind. And Danny goes, oh, I'll just take you to the cafe across the road. So we're all getting dressed up. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, beautiful, big smoked, smoked salmon salad glass, maybe a glass of bubblies. I was even thinking that in my head, a nice little glass of bubbles and just the four of us and how exciting we're in this amazing place. And we're walking past this cafe and I thought in my head, please don't be this cafe. Oh God, please don't. And sure enough, we walk into this cafe and instantly I knew it was revolting. And when I saw the TV screen up showing meals, which looked like happy meals from McDonald's and things like that, I just thought, oh my God, get me out of here. But I didn't want to be <laughs> So anyway, and then I turned around, of course, you can't buy alcohol in places like that. And I swear to you, I would have become a raving alcoholic in that moment because I was going to do anything to numb the pain of where he had just taken us. And the, I'm having this little mini tantrum inside thinking, he's known me for 28 years and he brings me to a place like this. Like my emotions were just absolutely going for it. Anyway, the kids sit down and they go, Mum, it's all right. For God's sake, just chill. Like, and I'm trying really hard. I hadn't said anything. They're all choosing their menu. Taylor orders this pizza, which I just looked at her. Then Jacob orders this burger, and I've just looked at him. And then Danny ordered this this chicken meal, which had some sort of yellow sauce thing that it just looks so wrong. Anyway, and then they turn and the and the hostess or this bloody waitress, she turns around and she had she looked like she'd been doing the job for hours. She goes, "And what would you like?" And I said, "I'll have a glass of water, thanks." And they're all, so now we're all everyone's tensions high and everything. And I'm thinking, and Danny's going, oh, "For God's sake, you have to eat." And I went, "No, I don't. There's nothing on the menu like this." I don't know if any. 
anyone can recognise this, but we're having this major little fitty la at a table. And then two guys just over from us start smoking, and that's just topped it for me. Oh, no. So over this place. So anyway, the meals come out. Taylor's looks like it's a thawed, frozen pizza, out, and it's been microwaved and and sat in front of her. It looks so lifeless and revolting. It's not funny. It's not like a a, a pizza weird all, mate. Jacob's burger comes out and looks like some packaged, processed photo, and Danny tries to sit there eating his chicken, and I'm just sitting there with my glass of water. Anyway, um, and then Jacob's say, saying something, and then I've got, it doesn't matter, and we're all having these little tantrums, and the next minute, Jacob, I look up at him, and he's got a, like, like he's almost got tears in his eyes, and because I'm having a crack at Danny, and then Danny turns around and goes, oh, I can never get it right, like this, and then, oh, Dan- and then Danny turns around, uh, t- Jacob turns around and goes, are you two going to get a divorce, and then <gasps> Danny sits there and goes, well... I might as well go and live in New Zealand if you guys want to carry on living in the sun. And I've gone, what? So the next minute, the kids stood up. They've stormed out. They've gone walking. And the next minute, I've stormed up and gone, oh, nice dinner. And then, look, honestly, it was just a shocker. So then we get back, and Danny and I, and then by the time I've caught up with Danny after coming out of paying 50 bucks for this horrible meal, we're standing there. And then we just got the giggles like you would have made, Like, oh, my God. We just stood there and just went, that was a meal from hell. And anyway, we found the kids. And then we all went up to the beautiful terrace and had a gorgeous, beautiful, you know, chicken wings and, and salad. I had this beautiful salad. Look, it all ended up beautiful. But what I'm saying is... Even we don't get it right, and and as families, you're struggling, you have moments. But I would also like to add, and the reason why I shared that story is that it can be so devastating and you can feel so wrong and so guilty around what we're eating and what we should be eating and what we shouldn't be doing that my only other piece of advice would be is that we have to have a sense of humor in this. We have to be able to to look at ourselves and realize if we are overweight or we aren't looking our best, We've got no one else to take responsibility for except ourselves. And in this moment, I'm going to choose to take responsibility and laugh at myself for being such a fool in the past or whatever it is. But just realize that food is emotional and to enjoy it and to celebrate it and the gift that we have with the bountiful supply of beautiful foods before us. I think is the real key here. And that to me is also getting back to that self-love and love of self. And we all loved ourselves enough to get up pay for that meal that none of us ate and walk out of there, but also remain intact as a family. (laughs) Only just. (laughs) You know what, Kimmy? You know what, Kimmy? Some people will walk in there and they won't even consider what you guys considered. They'll think that that is okay, that the pizza's come out of somewhere frozen and the sauce is made from something coloured. And that's what's scary is the education around this whole thing is that, you guys are educated, you know, but there are probably 80% of the population out there that are not educated and that they think that that's okay, that that's good food and they've gone out for a dinner and then they go to McDonald's and they think it's it's okay. But that's, what's, that's what alerts me to that we have a bigger problem than, you know, people who are listening to us. Like the people who are listening to us, especially if they've been listening for a long time, they will know how we respect our bodies and, and what kind of foods that we consume. But they're a very minority, you know, they're a minority of the population. Mm. And I think that that's where, we're, where things are going wrong is that people don't think that they're doing anything wrong. They're living by the nutritional guidelines. They're eating these types of foods. And then one day they woke up and they've got an autoimmune disease, they've got heart disease, they've got high cholesterol, they've got diabetes. Um, and their doctor goes, well, you've been, you know, eating the right foods. <laughs> That's mm. the scary part is mm. that, that, you know, like you guys, that was, that, that's hilarious what happened, but it's only because you were educated. Most people would work in, walk in there and not even think twice about the food that they were putting into their mouth. And I think that that is the key, mm. is the key is education. The key is to have an understanding about what food is doing to your body. For instance, I was speaking, you know, I swim with a, a bunch of emergency care doctors and radiographers and interns and anyway, one of the... the Precisely, girls, I don't swim with you. I don't <laughs> cut the chase. I'm just saying that's the only reason. 
Well, you know that they'll they'll save you every time. You know, I feel very honoured that I'm swimming with them. That if anything happens to me, they're there. <laughs> so anyway, I was one of the girls has an autoimmune disease, and she has Raynaud's. And I said to her, "What are you doing about your Raynaud's?" And and this is an emergency care doctor, and she said, "Well, um, I, I think she said something about anti-inflammatories or immune suppressants." And I said, "Is there anything else that you've been offered?" And and she said, "Well, I was it was just when it gets bad enough, do something about it." And I said, "Did you know that food has been indicated as something that can help an autoimmune disease?" And she said, um, "No, I haven't looked into that." And I said, "Well, why don't I give you the name of somebody who?" Is really has an autoimmune disease, has cured her autoimmune disease, and she's a medical doctor. And so I gave her Dr. Terry Wall's number, name, and her um, book, The Wall Protocol. And I gave her Sarah Ballantyne's book, which is also about, you know, healing your autoimmune diseases. So here we have a beautiful young medical doctor who didn't realise that the potential of eating, and she was eating an Anzac. Biscuit, and that was Australia Day. But the potential of eating an Anzac biscuit could set her immune system off to cause more problems for four months. Up to four months, they've indicated. Wow. So, I think we have a very uneducated population that don't know, and they don't know your side of the story, Kim, which is the the skin and what we put on our skin. They don't, and that some skincare is made with wheat, and conditioners and shampoos are made with wheat, and and cause problems if you have an autoimmune disease. They don't know Karen's side of the story. That there's a new way of thinking, there's a new way of being, there's a new way of doing things, and then they don't understand my side of the story, which is food, and how powerful food is as medicine or as poison. Mm. And you, that's the said- sad part. I think you said this a couple of podcasts ago, Cindy, is that we don't have a holistic approach. Mm. Yeah. Because, you know, like people, they don't, we don't have a holistic approach to looking at the human body. And, you know, like our science doesn't and our medicine doesn't, which is such, I don't know, it just seems so bizarre to me. Don't, I mean, we get that. We understand the necessity of, of looking at the body holistically because, and, 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 you know, like that it's, it's common sense and also research points to that so blatantly. I don't understand why, why don't, why, why don't those that are considered to be our most learned know that? What am I missing? Well, I think they're brought up in an institution and they're educated in an institution that teaches them one paradigm. And they don't look outside that paradigm. Whereas I look at you, Karen, and and you have had so many careers in your life because you're always you have you're always searching and looking. And Karen, you have a paradigm. That is true. She is, she has that many bloody paradigms. We don't we can't keep up. Somebody but said I came from another planet once, didn't they? <laughs> but you do. You think so differently. Like I, I love when I'm in a crippling situation and. You just look at me and you make one comment and all of a sudden I go, oh, I get that now. Oh, my gosh, that makes so much sense. But I haven't looked at it that way. So I think it's it's about finding mentors. Uh, and that's one of the things that Tony Robbins talks about. He says, first of all, up your standards. Secondly, you know, don't think that you can't do this. And thirdly, find a mentor. And I hope that people see us as their mentors, like, we each have our specialities and we, you know, Kim and her wads have been just going crazy on the internet. And, mm. um, and, and I just think it's, it's time that people realise that we, we, have, we have made it to the top in our field. We've figured it out. We're the, we're the most, you know, we're, we're probably one of the most educated within our field of what we do. Mm. Um, and there are other fields out there that we don't know about, but in our field of emotion, food, um, and the physical and chemical body, I think the three of us are great mentors in that, and we've we've figured out how to do it. So, you know, why? Um, what 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 are what are these other people missing? I think they stay in their paradigm. They don't believe that there's anything outside what they've been taught. But in actual fact, there's a whole new world. And when you start listening to people like Bruce Lipton and 
Van Dina Shiva and Anita Mojani and Eamon Alexander and Karen Newell and these people that just think even vibration makes a difference to your health, you know. It's just, I love it. I just love it. That vibration, that whole vibration concept, I tell you what, I'm Mm. so down the rabbit hole on that right now. But obviously I'm coming at it from a, a, a mind point of view and a psychological point of view, but it's it's such an amazing conversation. OM freaking G. Mm. I think we're going to have to do a potty on that. Uh, uh, look, I think <laughs> we're going to have to do one, and I actually think we need to go to Colorado to the conference that even Alexander and Karen Newell are putting on. Sure thing. <laughs> no oh, no, problem. it's Sun Valley. That's right. It's Sun Valley in July. <laughs> no problem. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> oh. But, yeah, they do the sacred site vibrations. You know, mm-hmm. so you know we. There's, you're right. There is just so much that there is out there that can help heal. And when you look at one horizons and look at other things, and and the really amazing thing is, every single month I learn something new, and I, I just go, when is this gonna? When when does it stop? When does this knowledge that we now have and that we're we're understanding? Uh, how when can is it ever stop? How I know. That's the beautiful part about it. And surely that's what would be the most encouraged thing with our institutionalized practitioners and doctors and everything. I always thought the gift of studying and being able to go to university and to study in any technical institute or any course whatsoever, the gift in that is an expansion of knowledge, awareness, and understanding. And that's where... I think this whole thing comes back to what we said at the very beginning. As you said, it's about education and it's about forgiving ourselves, but it's also allowing ourselves to maybe question even the thoughts we strongly believe in. Really, Yeah, really questioning it. So go to thewellnesscouch.com, which is all the W's, dot thewellnesscouch.com, and post your comments and your questions and the things that you really want to know there as well. So join us here next week on Up For A Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And we just love, love, love having you on the ride. Bye for now. We'll see you next week. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.